Welcome back to Friends Like Us. Marina Franklin here, your host. This week on Friends, welcome new friend to the show, Tina Wells. Tina is a business strategist, advisor, author, and the founder of RLVNT Media. Wells has been recognized by Fast Company's 100 Most Creative People in Business, Essence's 40 Under 40, and the American Advertising Federation's Hall of Achievement. In 2023, her acclaimed Elevation Approach, a framework for finding work-life harmony that she developed while confronting her own professional and personal burnout, expanded with a book and corresponding product line available at Target stores nationwide. And we talk about them on the show. It's a good listen. Welcome, Tina. Also welcome back, Dean Edwards. Dean is an American actor, comedian, and writer, most notably recognized for his two-year tenure as a cast member of NBC's Saturday Night Live. Check out Dean's Netflix special, Tiffany Haddish Presents, They Ready Season 2. And now you can see him in his very funny off-Broadway show, Race, the Movie, the Play. Also welcome new friend, he's our white for the month. Yes, Brett Raybould, comedian. In November of 2020, he released his debut hour comedy special, Brett Raybould Retires from Comedy, with a comedy album that debuted at number one on iTunes. Currently, Brett is co-starring with Dean in the off-Broadway production of Race the Movie the Play, for which he won Best Script and Best Actor for the New York Theater Festival. Tickets are still available. You can purchase them at racethemovietheplay.com. Tomorrow, yes, Thursday, May 25th, we may still have tickets left for our Genius Enjoy comedy show and fundraiser for a severely defunded school. It's a tier one school in Harlem because these kids don't have parents who can throw money at a problem. You can go to my website, marinafranklin.com, and get tickets or you can hit the donate button and just give us a donation. It'll be ongoing. So just go to my website and get information about Genius and Joy Comedy Show and Fundraiser. It's going to be a great show with Yamanika Saunders, Sarah Contreras, Mark Theobald, Kanice Serka. Oh my God, so many more. Just go to my site, check it out. If you want to feel good, this is a good way to do it. We talk about solutions all the time. Well, here it is. Can't wait for the government. I want to thank all of our listeners of Friends Like Us because of you. We make some pretty impressive lists. You can hear us on Google Podcasts now, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. Review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. Make sure you turn on the auto-download function for Friends Like Us on Apple Podcast. You can email us at friendslikeuspodcast at gmail or Instagram is friendslikeuspodcast and Twitter is friendslikeus10. Become more than a friend? Leave us a tip or donation by going to our Patreon page. Go to Patreon backslash friendslikeus. Special shout out to our Patreon friends. It's because of you we keep going. Now for our golden friends, you have the option to watch our recordings live backstage, go to Patreon backslash friends like us and be golden. Merch is available. We have t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, face masks, and tank tops. Just go to my website, marinafranklin.com. Weekly on my YouTube channel, I go live with my assistant, Evelyn Frick. And 
time, my wacky friend, Dave Jeskow. We give updates to the show. We shout out fans who leave reviews. And we have surprise guest friends from the podcast stop by. And this week, we had Sujay, who's a fan of the show, who goes to every live every Saturday. Thank you, Sujay. And who came to our comedy show. Sometimes we do offer free stuff, right? So go and check it out with friends like us. And it'll help you feel not so alone because more content is on the way. Tell a friend you know to check us out. Stay safe. Wash those dirty little hands. Wear a mask still if you want to. Be nice. And Black Lives Matter. Whether it's the larger corporate coffee companies or the small local coffee shop, it seems like the coffee choice we have today are over-roasted and bitter or under-roasted and sour. And to top it off, bad coffee can be (laughs) really expensive. At Mariposa Coffee, they believe you shouldn't need to add cream and sugar to enjoy your coffee. They have a unique roasting process, so their coffee is clean, smooth, fresh, and a tasty that you can drink black. I've had their coffee. I love their coffee. Every time you see me with a coffee mug, know it's their coffee. And at just $12 per pound, you'll have enough money left over to buy eggs or gas or maybe more coffee. What? Say word. More coffee. They offer flavored coffees and decaf coffee if that's what you like. Shop online today at MariposaCoffeeCo.com and enter promo code FranklinFriends10. That's FranklinFriends10 to receive 10% off your first coffee order. That's Mariposa. CoffeeCo.com for smooth, enjoyable, and affordable coffee. Welcome, Tina Wells. Welcome. You're our new friend. Also, we have Brett Raybould. Nailed it. (laughs) You were nervous for a moment. (laughs) We're going to cross these topics together. Well, first of all, Tina who um, is very new to me, um, but I loved, I love everything I saw about what you're doing. You're a business strategist, but I'd like you to tell everyone what you do because I I could read, but I think you can do it better than I can. Oh, goodness. Uh, Hello. Thank you for having me. Um, These days, I don't think I can. I feel like I'm just trying to keep it together, but... um, Let's see. I spent 20 years in marketing. I started my first company when I was 16, uh, then moved into middle grade fiction. And now I'm developing products. Um, And I have my first collection, Elevation by Tina Wells, a collection of home office goods that is exclusively at over 1,500 Target retail stores in the U.S. Um, And today we're going to talk about my book, The Elevation Approach, which is a guide to work-life harmony and really unlocking your creativity and bringing your big dreams to life. And so I'm super excited to talk about all of the things today. Because you also market teenagers, from what I was reading, how to attract, I don't know how. So my question is, (laughs) like, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened between like, me being a teenager and me being an adult, I don't know what that phenomenon is where I don't know how, like when I'm on Instagram or when I'm like even doing my podcast, how to attract that generation. Yes. And that's me putting it polite. How do we speak to the youth? Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, what I realized is I had to listen a little bit. I think a lot of older people, you know, there's that classic line my kids did it, this person did it. And so we assume we know. And what I, you know, a lot of what I learned was just through asking and through observing, you know, and I still think as a person who develops products for retail, 
a lot of what I developed is based on, you know, asking questions, looking for um, pain points and opportunities. But with younger people, I think for any of us, you know, there were so many things said about millennials that just weren't true. Um, they weren't motivated. I'm like, or everybody thought they deserved a trophy. I'm like, we're talking about a demographic of people who graduated from college right around 2008. Everything that they had planned for for their entire life that was promised to them was taken away by one deep recession very quickly, right? And then these people rebounded and created some of the most important companies of our generation, of our time, from Uber to Airbnb, you know, to Warby Parker away. Like the list goes on and on of these brands that emerged. One, because people needed to create jobs, right? They didn't have jobs, so they needed to create them. And they really just wanted to create something new. And and now we'll forever talk about the Airbnb of or the Warby Parker of or the Toms of, right? But there was this really interesting period where these millennials created really interesting companies. And so I know I will always be a fan of millennials. I think, um, you know, after millennials, I fell in love with tweens. I write for tweens, primarily tween girls now. That's my audience. And so, you know, I love emerging demographics in general, but really younger, younger consumers will always fascinate me. What do they want? <laughs> I think, I think like, you know, I think they want different things. I think millennials and Gen Zs are, are quite different. I think millennials came of age at a time when, um, you know, a lot of systems that were supposed to work for them just stopped working. And I think with Gen Z, they're now looking at everything. They've learned lessons from previous generations to say, this is how we think things need to go. And so, um, you know, I think Gen Z is incredibly creative, but I think that they're creative in a way where their creativity needs to make them money. You know, and I think you see some of the younger members, like famously Kylie Jenner, who was a billionaire, you know, by the time she was 20, right? They understand how to make money with their creativity. I think that speaks to the generation in general. Um, they're also you know, the most financially savvy generation in his also who are capable of moving us in the direction we need to go. And so I, I find them just incredibly fascinating. I love to hear it. I love to hear someone have millennials backs. It's a nice, a nice change of pace from how usually people speak of millennials. <laughs> you know, we're usually typically we've been taking it in the shorts for pretty much all of our adult lives everyone is always saying millennials are lazy or millennials are this and that and by the way i even it almost if i'm a millennial it almost affected me to the point where i just came so used to hearing millennials be uh made fun of that i just started to view that as the term you use for younger people you don't like because i i got i have nephews who are like six and seven years old and i'm like guys millennials are, they suck <laughs> like like i'm calling my six-year-old nephews millennials just because that's what i thought you do you just call the generation below you millennials so i go into companies to consult them about millennials and when they would tell me how bad these millennials are, I would kindly remind them that they are the parents of millennials so that their millennial child is someone else's problem. Uh, <laughs> they're bad. The one you raised is working for someone else. Is that person bad? Then why are the rest of them bad? You know? Right, right. Right. I, I was I was going to say, I think um, everyone that sees this is shocked that Brett is a millennial because he has a 60 year old mustache. <laughs> I was shocked. I was like, Oh, okay. 
millennials, I'm pretty sure we, uh, I say we, I'm a zennial, but I'm pretty sure millennials created Movember, right? Which is like the whole mustache month, right? So I think it's a very on-brand millennial thing, Brett. I'll, I'll even go on the record and say of the four people on this podcast, I look the oldest. <laughs> and I think that's a safe take. That's melanin related, Brett. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I'll say this. Dean has daughters that, I mean. Oh, can can I also just add, Marina, you never introduced me. Did I not? You, you introduced I just assumed because I said they were new. And then I was like, look, I was like. <laughs> Sorry, my hosting skills. But, you know, you're you're not new. You're like, you're everyone knows you. Right, right. But Dean Edwards is famous comedian. Yeah, uh, yes. that's right. That's right. <laughs> Who is also well? We'll we're gonna get to that. It's because Tina has a heart out, so I'm well, trying to get to her. But Dean is a very funny comedian. They're both doing a show, Tina, that is uh, at the Soho Playhouse here in New York City about race. Is a is a play about race that. You know, um, they're both in. Now, look, Dean leaves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got But it. we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. We're I want to focus. I'm telling you, we play Bill Official, son. Yes. <laughs> so um, Dean has two daughters. I, I often, you know, I remember when your daughter gave me a compliment on TikTok. It was the biggest compliment I've ever gotten. Because oh. I didn't think I appealed to that generation. And she was like, no, it's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good so dean like when you hear her talking about how to appeal like what do your daughters like did you watch them change evolve like um i think you know what i i think that we we get so caught up in the differences generationally that we don't also focus on the similarities everything everything my daughters or any uh millennials experiences you know it might be at an accelerated pace but they're experiencing the same exact things that young women did 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. Um, as evidence, uh, Tina said she's an author. And the first thing I thought was um, was Judy Bloom. Right. Um, and she uh, she speaks to, you know, tweens. And I think Judy Bloom's uh, prime example of the fact that uh, uh, are you are you there? God, it's me. Margaret is a is a movie. Um, that's out in theaters now that's based on a book that she wrote years ago, you know? So I, mm -hmm. I think, I think it just shows that generationally, yes, there are differences, but there are more similarities. And so, you know, whoever was, if, if our generation was into Whitney and then also say Mariah, this generation is into Ariana Grande, you know, I, I think there there are certain slots that are always going to get filled, similar to on Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Live, you're always going to have the you're going to have, uh, you know, big white guy, uh, five, five white guys that are interchangeable. Um, <laughs> we can call that we can call them Brett's. Right, right. Five Brett's. <laughs> now, over the course of time, you'll 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 see at least one black woman, um, one black male that's that's sort of slender. Sometimes you might have a husky black dude. Like, there's sort of plots. Yeah, I mean, real talk. I, like, that's so true. I was on there with Tracy Morgan. When Tracy and I left, you had Keenan 
Keenan Thompson and Vanessa uh, Mitchell. Um, Vanessa is gone, and then you wind up with Jay Farrell and Keenan, and then they, they, and you've always had Keenan, which is the the heavier set uh, black dude, but then they also will slide in, you know, other black dude, and so I think that's that's the same uh, across the board for um, you know what kids are into, what younger people, I should say, are into. Yes. Well, I mean, I argue with my nieces all the time about the differences between um, Lil' Kim and... Um, Being a Mistelian? And, no, they like... Uh, oh, my God. Now I sound like an auntie for real, for real. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying the... Um, what's her name? Ice Spice? No, no. She's the... the you know, Lizzo? She, not Lizzo, the other rapper. She's like got pink hair all the time. And oh, Doja, Doja Cat. Doja Cat. No, she's black. Well, Doja Cat is. Wait, what is? Yeah, Doja is black, but so is uh, I mean, Cardi's. Look, um. Oh my God! <laughs> you do sound old. You sound very old. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they don't want to give it to Lil Kim, is what I'm trying to say. And I get into it with them all the time. I go, listen, you got to know Lil' Kim came before all these other girls. Exactly. You got to so know, you... before before they all showed their vagina squatting, it was Lil' Kim. <laughs> I said, not Cardi B. It's not Cardi B. It's the other one. The the Barbies. Oh, uh, Nicki Minaj. Nick, oh, Nicki Minaj. Yes, thank you. Nicki Minaj. And, and here's what's funny. Nicki is now old compared to... People, we just, you know, compared to say, uh, even like Cardi's starting to get up there com compared comparatively. So Doja is like, is new. City oh, girls Doja, are new. Yeah. Nicki Minaj, because, because especially like hip hop, using hip hop as artists as a microcosm, you know, you have, a, you have, if you're fortunate, you have a, a three year shelf life. If you have five years, that's a, that's legendary. And if you go beyond like into a decade, you're old school. Drake is old school now. Drake still puts out, um, but he not to me because I come from a different generation. But there's an there's a generation of of um, cats that grew up listening to Drake that are now in their twenties and thirties, and people that are in their you know teens and early twenties are looking like oh Drake is Drake is like a, a adult contemporary. <laughs> yeah, know? no, Drake Drake is now he's pharmacy rap. He's sort right. of. <laughs> he's sort of become, you know, he's got the Dwayne Reed bars is what I feel like he's become. <laughs> now, Tina, did you know we were all comedians? I had no clue, but I'm not surprised now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, Tina's making like these awesome points. And then I'm like, let me just jump into crap on Drake real quick. <laughs> I felt like I learned a lot in five minutes about many people and many things I should know more about. <laughs> so Tina, can you tell us about your book? Because I, you know, I put a couple of articles in here about having it all. You're very successful. You've been mentioned in the uh which Essence magazine listed you in we all want to be liked by the Essence women. Uh, <laughs> definitely. I mean, it, I, please Essence, could you talk about friends like us once? <laughs> we did well, a while ago, but just can you do it again? But Tina, can you tell us like why you decided to write what you're writing today and tell us about the book? Yeah, so it's funny to talk about this book. I have to talk about my previous work, which you know is primarily 
middle grade fiction. And so I fell in love with writing about tweens when I was doing research in my like previous career. Um, and then I decided to become really intentional and focus on writing books for really black, young black girls because so few books feature protagonists who are girls of color, right? So I felt the need to do this through Honest June and the Z Files and the Stitch Click. And one day, you know, I would say probably in the middle of the pandemic, I was on a walk with a friend and I was telling her about all the books I was working on. And she said, oh, I wish I could do that. I have an idea. I just don't know how to get it out of my head. And that's what really started me on the path to writing the elevation approach. And I remember, you know, I love solving problems. And I remember thinking, you know, she's such a smart person and I'm so mad that she has this idea. She doesn't know how to bring it to life. And she's an incredible mom and she's caring for her aging parents. And of course she's smart enough to do this. She just needs a framework. And that's what really started. And I started by listing my own framework, which is really, you know, the four phases of the elevation approach, preparation, inspiration, recreation, and transformation. And it was literally like writing, you know, like that napkin business, right? It was like one page, my scribble notes, here's my practice, here's what I do. Okay, now how do I expand this and and make a tool that I hope will help so many people bring big ideas to life? Amazing. Also, I saw some of your products that are not yet on sale, right? Yeah. So Well, now like, they are. I mean, so I have a line of home office products that are available at 1,500 Target stores nationwide. And the goal of the line is really to help people experience work-life harmony every day. And so these are products I use every day. Um, and also I thought about the fact that like not everybody gets to carve a home office or an entire space just for them, right? If you're If you're in a busy family, you have young kids, you know, the idea that you will have your space just may not be realistic. And so, you know, I really designed a line of products. It's like, if all you have is a corner, you know, how do we make that the coolest corner where you feel like you're really inspired to to dream big and bring those ideas to life? And so that's the product line uh, that, like I said, lives in Target stores. Um, the book is at Target and also available wherever books are sold. But, you know, there's a special edition at Target as well. And so uh, it's just been a lot of fun for me to create product. And I think it's been a very full circle moment for me being a marketer, you know, starting out my career as a marketer, which is really um, you know, designing creative for other people's product to like actually creating my own now. I think Did you feel, inc- oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. I just want to add, I think it's incredible because there's a couple of products that I myself could use because I look at clumps of, like, I don't have an excuse for, you know, like I don't have kids, so I don't have an excuse for being distracted. But, <laughs> but organization is a problem for me. And there was a, it, it looks like um a, ba- a purse, like a filing purse. Can you, can you explain what that is? Because that is what I want. The portfolio um, yes. that's doing very well right now. Yes. Um, so you can take your iPad on the go and you can, it depends on like, how many things you want in there. You can have everything from your credit cards and everything in it. Um, I love the desk mat because I, I mean, in my desk mat, I have like pens as well as like a lipstick for going live on Instagram, like very important things I needed by. But I'm also person like, I don't like visual clutter, but I'm also not, I don't really care how it's organized, right? So the baskets are by jam because as long as it's just stuffed in there, 
and contained. I, I love like what the home edit girls say about containing clutter, right? So that's the other thing too, is like, I'm not going to like tell you how to like fold things perfectly, and put, but I'm just going to help you contain the clutter. So for me, if I have a lot of clutter, I, it's hard for me to like be creative. I need to, you know, declutter my space in a way to be able to bring that idea out. And I felt like a lot of people might struggle with the same, like if you're looking at an island full of stuff and you want to sit down and have like a creative session, it's a little hard for me mm -hmm. at least. So I think about like very simple, mm -hmm. practical tools that will help people unlock a little bit more time to focus on what they want to focus on. And go ahead, Brett. Sorry, I, I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, not at all. I was just going to ask you, uh, how much do you feel like your background as a marketer, you know, you became so used to helping unlock, I guess, the maximum potential of another person's invention or idea. How much did that help you when now you're like, oh, I have my own uh, book or um, and the, or these products? Did you feel like it was just very natural for you to just market your own stuff because maybe now you have more passion for it because, well, it originated from you rather than uh, one of your teammates or coworkers? It's interesting. I, I've always thought about the customer. Even when mm -hmm. I was in marketing, um, it wasn't about my ideas or, you know, I was lucky to be an award-winning marketer, but I never thought about that side. It was just what serves the customer. And I think in developing my own collections, even more so, I've become almost like a little crazy about what what is my customer going to get? I think about the money that they're spending and how hard we all work for the money we have and just how do I deliver the best product for the money? And what do they want? What are they interested in? So I think it's a lot less about me, you know, and it's interesting because the first collection, it's like Elevation by Tina Wells and it's my photo and my, but I'm like, I'm so focused on that customer and what their life is like at home and, and who they are and what they might be struggling with and looking for a solution to and thinking about how I create that solution for them versus what I want to do creatively. But I, but I do think that's the marketer in me, right? Because I'm so focused on selling, right? I'm not just focused on getting it in the stores. I'm like, I want this to sell. So what do we have to do? And what you ultimately need to do to sell product through is to be really in touch with the, the end user and that customer to make sure you're delivering on what they need. So to go back to that question again, how do I appeal to <laughs> to gen not millennials. We talked about millennials, but what about gener Generation Z? I it's don't know. Funny. I thought I you do. were going to ask me how do you get <laughs> how do you appeal to Essence, and I was going to be like, obviously, you take your show live to the Essence Music Festival. That's the Ooh, best way. Yes. To do that. The, don't um, they have to invite you? I mean, you can just buy a ticket and go. Yeah. Be there because it's where I mean. There's so many amazing things that happen there. So, I mean, again, just an idea to think about. That's a good one. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. And you can just go. I mean, you can make like the ultimate girls trip edition or something. I mean, that an episode from Essence Music Festival would be pretty incredible, actually. <laughs> Thank you for that. I, I, when, when is that? It's Sorry. around like 4th of July weekend. You have time. Oh, no. Like I always go to the Chosen Few picnic in Chicago for the House Music Festival. Is it? What date is that? Four or five days. So you can do the before. Like you, you have time. I have time. I think it That's a good one. June, it starts like June 30th. Yeah. Thank you. you even I knew that. I need you in my life, Tina. <laughs> even I, you knew that, Dean? Yeah. Really? Even, look, I, well, I, you know, I, I, I have black, I'm surrounded by black women. And, and, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, 
Um, but I was I was going to say as as a friend of of Marina's uh, for for many years, Tina. Thank you because you just you just pointed out what she needs to do versus her going to house party. Um, <laughs> you just you just pointed out here's the best way to do that. Go to Essence. When is it? It's at the end of oh, but I have this party. Well, do you want you want friends like us to? Be bigger so that then I could do both. Though she just told me she I could do both work month. life harmony, work life harmony. Could do it at the chosen few picnic too. There you go. There, there you, you go. go. So you could, you could do a week of live podcast from the chosen few picnic, and then say we're on the road. We're going to Essence Fest. I mean, come on, friends like us who are going to Essence Festival. I mean, you do like full. <laughs> So I want to direct this other question at you. This this article about having it all, this, we're just coming off of Mother's Day and I don't have kids, but I do hear how difficult it is for women to have it all, which is sort of like a a phrase that needs to go away. Um, while the phrase having it all became popular in the 1980s due to a book by the same name, it's very Genesis has since been debunked as both a misrepresentation and a myth. Now it says we should be having more conversations in columns about priorities, self-care, sacrifice, timing, opportunity cost. A fairer, fairer and more realistic metric is one that doesn't reward a system where women are expected to do it all. Your book does this. It appeals to that. Am I right? Yes, we talk about the, uh, and I say we, me and my co-writer, Stephanie Smith, who we've done 10 books together, our stuff is amazing. But, um, you know, we, we propose this idea of work-life harmony, right? That balance is antiquated, that if you really start to think about what a scale looks like, if you add a ton of work, the way to balance it out is to add a ton of life, right? And a ton of play. And what if that's not what you want to do? But, you know, that's not ever going to put you in harmony. Harmony is like, I'm going to make my favorite meal and it's going to have all the ingredients I want it to have. And that's what's going to work for me. And I think what I encourage you to do in the book is to figure out what that recipe is for you, not based on someone else's standard. You know, only you know what harmony feels like for you. If harmony feels like you're going to work 80 hours a week and you're really happy and you know that you need to sprinkle in a few other things that bring you joy, that's what it looks like for you. You know, if it looks like, you know, I remember I'm the oldest of six. My mom worked part-time until my youngest brother went to school full-time and then she full on out had her career, but that's exactly how she wanted it to be, right? And she's like, I wanted that time at home with my kids part-time, but like she at the time wasn't shamed for that, where I feel like a lot of women now are actually shamed if they decide that they want to even part-time work. And, and you know, it's like, oh my gosh, you need to do what we're doing, which is having it all, right? So I think like I'm encouraging people to really make their own decisions and decide. And I think for those of us, you know, I don't have children yet, but you know, I'm an aunt. I, I, I have to show up for my family in a really big way, right? Like I, my father was sick for a while. Um, you know, how we show up looks really different. It's not very traditional, but it's a lot of time, right? So if you are, in fact, that family member who is childless, in some ways, more is demanded of you from your family, right? Because it's like, well, you have time, you can do this. And so I think we're all, there are a lot of labels that we're all deciding don't work for us anymore. You know, I, I, I have many thoughts about, 
in culture, what it all it all ends up being like falling under the category of woke now, which is really funny to me. I'm like, woke is anything that is asking people to see something in a different way. Anything that's <laughs> we look at something different is just woke and we need to be anti-woke, right? I'm like, no, we're just all looking at so many things we've been told, tropes, whatever you want to call it, like ways we've been conditioned to exist for so long and saying, am I still comfortable with that? Right. It doesn't even mean we want to change it. Some people are like, yes, I want to change it. Others are like, I'm just asking the question. I don't even know if I want to change. I just need to understand how I got here. Right. And I think for many of us, we just were told you show up a certain way. We never even got to ask ourselves, are we okay with what that means? Are we participating in this? Or were we just told that if you want to get promoted, you have to work 90 hours a week, right? Think of like lawyers, you go in and it's like, you will bill a hundred hours a week. Okay. You know, and then I think the pandemic happened and people started saying, well, do I really need to do that? Is that really working? Do I really care about that extra, you know, 150 bucks in my paycheck? No, I really don't. So I'm going to like phone it in. Right. And so I think so quiet quitting. Yeah, but so, and loud, right? We're quiet quitting. Then we want a soft life. And I'm like, okay, we're we're going to extremes, right? Like soft life is great, but if you want to like make money and pay for things, you have to work, right? Like you can't just opt out of everything. So I think we're all just saying, okay, we're tired of the way things have been. We need to make something new. We're not quite sure what that is, but I think we're in a really interesting place of exploration. So what was that catalyst for you? Um, I think for me, it was, you know, I had a very successful career around 39. I was really like unhappy and I didn't understand why. And I think when you're in a career where you're doing well, you're getting all the benefits to think that something there is not working is not the first thought. So I think I struggled with this for probably nine months. And then, you know, my father, I write about this in my book, my dad gets sick. And, you know, we're thinking, okay, this is the end. He's in the hospital. And he's like the happiest person ever. And, and he's like, I'm happy with my life. I had a great marriage. I had my wife. I had my six kids. Anything else happens? My career was good. Like, life is good. And I remember thinking, how do I do the same thing, right? Because if you asked me that today, I wouldn't be approaching this stage in my life the way he is, which is I'm happy. I'm content. You know, if I'm here, I'm here for my kids and my grandkids. But if I go, I have lived the life I wanted to live. And I remember thinking, I don't feel that sense of contentment. And that joy that he's feeling is way bigger than work for him, right? Like, you know, you think about a lot of men who grew up in the 50s, 60s. Work was about what I need to do to provide for my family. And, and I find the joy I need in my family. And so that's why one of the key phrases for the elevation approach is around creating joy. And so I think for me, I just realized I needed to create joy. But how do I do that knowing I have a lifestyle I need to maintain and I like working? And that's where I, I really approached it from. I hope a way more practical playbook for those of us who need to support ourselves. We want to keep working. We want to do things that we love, but we also want to find time for ourselves to show up in our own lives, right? Like I want my life to feel like me. I don't want to feel like I'm living the life of a representative of who I think I should be, but just like doing the things I like and I want to do. Menopause will do that for you. Let me tell you, I know that sounds crazy, but women, you know, we have awareness because mm -hmm. we have cycles. Every month we're told, stop. Yep. <laughs> yep. Menopause. <laughs> is like a main one, like I'm in my 50s. So menopause will slow you the hell down. 
mm-hmm. whether you want it to or not. And it'll make you go, am I fulfilled? Mm-hmm. And if, and let me tell you, if you're not, your body will respond to it mm-hmm. in a very uh, loud way. Um, I used to get very angry. If I don't want to do something, my body now, I can feel every single part of it. And wow. my body will tell me, you don't want to do this. Why are you doing? And I can't even, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Like I've had people say, you don't hang out like Keith. I'm going to do Keith Robinson's voice right now. Marina doesn't hang out anymore. Marina not used to hang out because I'm a comedian. So the whole thing is hang out until like one o'clock in the morning, hang out. But I, that doesn't make me happy. You know, I like going to the clubs, doing my set. Dean knows I'll talk to a few comics, but I'm more fulfilled when I'm do when I've done that. And then I have my own space for myself. Mm-hmm. And I've made that a rule that I have to. And also on Sundays, you know, comics, we perform every single day as we're coming up in this you know, I'm now past the coming up, but um, I used to perform every single day, not one day off. Mm-hmm. And then there was a point where I was like, nope, can't do that anymore. I need a day off Sunday. In order to be good, I need that Sunday for myself. And I just made it a rule. So that's one step that I made for myself. What are some of the steps that some of the listeners can follow? Yeah, so I in writing the book, I was really sensitive to this idea that when you think about wellness, especially wellness for people of color, I feel like we just get co-opted out of it, right? It's like, if you have two hours a day and you can do all these things, you can live this most ideal life. And I'm like, well, does that mean for those of us who don't have that kind of time, that's not available to us? And so um, a lot of my principles start with just five minutes a day. You know, and if you take five minutes, what can you do with those five minutes? And what rituals can you create for yourself? And a lot of this is about you deciding what works for yourself. It's not me saying do this ritual, right? I'm just saying create them. You have to understand what you need. Like I need a ritual in the morning of preparing a hot beverage for me wherever I am in the world. It can look different. It could be hot water with lemon. It could be chai tea. It could be coffee. All that I need is the time, right? Because I'm sorting things out in my mind. You know, I have rituals in the morning around like where I'm getting my news briefing. I love to start my day with like a global news briefing, right? I need to, I think about the fact that like parts of the world have been awake for hours longer than I have on the East Coast, right? What's Mm -hmm. happening there? Mm -hmm. And then I can ground myself finally locally. But I want to know like what's happening in different places in the world. Um, but I've, I've come up with all kinds of rituals and tools. I have rituals for when I travel, um, like what I like to do after a long flight, what I like to do when I'm flying. I, I tee up a lot of reading for entertainment, just things I love to read when I'm flying. Um, so travel has become a ritual for me. It's such a big part of my life. And I think, like you said, when you're, you know, you have this thing, like for you at one point, it was like every single day after perform, right? For me or, or certain people, it's like, I'm flying 100,000 miles a year. Okay, I've got to deal with the fact that this maybe not so pleasant thing has to happen. So how can I make it? The lounge. Yeah. (laughs) The Delta Sky Lounge? Delta Sky Lounge. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yes. I can get into how I was just clowned by my sister and my niece because we flew an airline where I I didn't have lounge access. And I literally said... Uh What do you do at the gate? And they will not let me live it down. I was like, oh, I want you to know the story ended with me buying a membership to that lounge because I was like, never again. I'm like, I don't know. Uh, That's hilarious. Philly does not. I mean, we don't have the best Delta hub. 
But I have a brother who was a you Delta people are like Delta fanatics. Mm. (laughs) I love Delta. Are like uh, people that use iPhones. How dare you use Droid or how dare you fly? (laughs) If I see those green bubbles, yeah. Like I like my airlines; they're fine. But like Delta people, and then they try to convince you. I'm like. I'm telling you in Philly, it doesn't make sense. They're like, no, no, you got to figure it out. You just got to get, I'm like, I'm not figuring that out ever. Like, But yeah. that, that Sky Lounge, I mean, that, that was a long time dream of mine was to get into that Sky Lounge at least once. And I got in because my sister has a membership. So she took me as a plus one. And I will tell you, when you get into the Delta Sky Lounge, it is a different world. First off, the people are better looking in the Sky Lounge than they are at the gate. Let's get that's just true. If people are just hotter, I'm sorry, that's the reality. They're not as sweaty. And this is how you know they care more about the the people who have higher income levels. At the gate where all the the plebes are, what do they show? What do they show on what do they show on television? They show cable news. To make us hate each other. What do they show on TV on the Delta Sky Lounge? Beautiful generic shots of nature. It's okay. almost like to the the well wealthy people that are like, just relax, just look at a swan fly across the lake, look at some flamingos. And then at the gate, they're like, Yeah, you poor fucks better be at each other's throats. Here's cable news. Hate, 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 hate. So all that to say I love I, the Sky Lounge. Yeah, I will say though. The Admirals Club for like American is very good. The United Club is great too. I will say though, no one does it better than the UK. They are very good at organizing their oh, clubs, yeah. let me tell you. But I couldn't believe it was the first place where I went into a, like the airport, like you had a different security when you flew with a certain and it delivered you to the lounge. And I was just like, I'm this is a totally different experience. But again, if you're traveling a lot, you got to figure out like what's the thing I got to do to make this workable, right? Exactly. Right. Be like, I got to get up at 5 a.m. every day and get kids out the door. Okay, how can you do it to a soundtrack you love? How can you put on a podcast you love? Listen to the radio, like do something that can add a little bit of a ritual and make something that could be very unpleasant as pleasant as possible for you. Right now. I'm, I'm gonna say I I concur, but I, I'll I'll I'm gonna say uh, Qatar Airways has the best. Uh, yeah, see her face. She oh, knows. <laughs> never seen anything. I had a long layover to South Africa. Yeah, they have a private spa in that hotel, and like what? You don't hear anything. I've never been in an airport in a spa where I heard nothing ever. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest thing in an airport is the noise of constantly yeah. air. I was like. Qatar is this is unlike anybody. Yeah. <laughs> Qatar and Emirates too, because I, I I give Qatar a, a little bit over Emirates. Now, I agree. Now, Tina, you brought up something that now brings us all. Well, we've been all in the conversation together, but you brought up something very important about how like everything that is opposite of what someone thinks is like considered woke. Now, what Brett has created is a play about race. And co-created. Co-created. <laughs> it just it just sounds funny when you see my face in the soul, the sole harbinger of that theme. You're like, well, no, no, no. It's with my best friend Christian and and Dean is also the star of it. And don't make that it just it. <laughs> but you're right, Marina. I appreciate you. But uh, can you tell us why you created it? And and do you get like 
in this moment of what Tina was, you know, is very true. What we're talking about is like, you know, we have the is I get Ron DeSantis and uh, the other DeSantis Santos. I get them mixed up sometimes. Oh, yeah. But the one in Florida who wants to run for president, um, Ron mm-hmm. DeSantis, he's like <clears throat> preventing, you know, they're banning books. We have an article about a teacher who here, a Florida teacher allegedly investigated for showing students film Strange World. Teachers are worried about just showing a movie because they could get like fired for showing something that is actually true and that of people that actually exist in the world today. So, yeah, no, I really resonated, uh, Tina, what you said about woke as a term. Sometimes people just use that term as this like defensive, ah, it's just woke to just like parry away any, anything that bristles with reality that can make them feel a certain type of discomfort. Mm-hmm. They just want to say woke as a way to just like, you know, block the discussion. And I'm really proud of this show that uh, I co-wrote and co-created and uh, is starring the great Dean Edwards now. Um, it is called Race the Movie, the play. It's, it's like an old school slapstick comedy spoofing all of the recent cheesy movies about race uh particularly white savior films um i play a character whose name is wyatt savior (laughs) and i'm tasked with driving around a brilliant black musician played by dean whose name is gene yas um and what we've found like we're we're so proud of it we feel like we tackle these these important discussions well in a way where engaging people with seemingly uncomfortable topics but doing it through silly slapstick comedy to almost disarm them to i think some of the the points of the message of the play and and because they're laughing and smiling they're more open to those to those types of conversations yeah and can i just uh add to that uh marina and tina that um you know brett and Christian, uh, very humble, but they honestly they they wrote um, something that I think is uh, you know a masterpiece in that they found a way to create something funny about race that allows people to have comfortable discussions about race without feeling as if the they the audience are being preached to as if they're being condescended to. Um, you know, as, as Marina knows, as 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 comics, oftentimes we read scripts. We go into audition for both television and film that um, uh, you know says they're comedies, but they really aren't funny. And when you're when you make your life and living making people laugh, and then someone tells you, "Here, read this. This is funny." Now, now, action, and you read it and. More often than not, things aren't funny. And Brett and Christian created something that when he first approached me a little over a year ago and, and said, uh, hey, I, I wrote something, would you read? I'm always willing to read some something if, if someone says it's good. Um, and then I can choose whether or not to continue. They they had me in one and a half to two pages. I was I was laughing out loud, which is a rarity because most comics, when we see something funny, a big laugh for us is like, Oh, that was funny, right? But I was actually, I was actually engaged. I was laughing, and the more I read, um, the more I said, "Yo, I, I need to be a part. I want to be a part of this. I want to see this thing succeed because I believe in uh, their mission and and what they're 
what they have done already. We 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 we're running through the end of May to uh, at uh, Soho Playhouse. We already had our first two weeks. We had a couple of sellouts. We we actually had a Q and A talk back at the end of our final show last week, which was so fulfilling because obviously receiving energy from the audience and laughter and applause is great, but more importantly, the, the talk back allowed people to tell us how 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 much they enjoyed the show and why they enjoyed the show. We had a, a mother and son um, that came out and the mother said, you know what, I just wanted to bring my son out for a night. Of, we, we had no idea what we were getting into and we're so glad that we went. We want to tell people to, to come back and see the show another a uh, young brother was um was of uh, biracial heritage. <clears throat> Excuse me, he was biracial heritage, and he said, "You know what? I want to tell my mother about this because myself being um, seen as a black man, I want I think bringing my mother here and watching what you guys did will help her understand better what I experienced." Mm. And there's um. There was something you said I, I really could, uh, you know, I think you, your elevation approach, I really can identify with, like, the work-life harmony being a better way of articulating it. Because at this phase of my life, I'm 31, you know, this this show and, and my friends in it, it's kind of my life. So I'm like, I'm mostly all work because that's how I want it to be at this exact moment. Uh, so that's, that's how I feel like, but a balance would imply like, oh, I should do, you know, X hours of working on it and then the equitable or an equal amount of balance. But I'm like, no, I'm working on the play and I'm, I'll relax with playing one chess match. But Tina, do you, <laughs> let me ask you, do you believe that specifically with, with, um, you know, uh, communities of color, specifically black people, we have a harder time uh saying we need to take time off because I I I find myself sort of going the same route you have. I for 20 some odd years I've taken Sundays and Mondays off um just because I I realized when I when I was on Saturday night live because it was a 6 day a week show that I needed I needed to rest and but I found I found comfort in every Sunday going to my mother-in-law's house. And then I also found comfort in saying, oh, you know what? Our daughters are growing up having some consistency where they get to see family every Sunday and they get a home cooked meal from their mother, from their grandmother every single Sunday. You know what I mean? So do you think that communities of color, we we have a tendency not to take some time for ourselves not to go on vacation as opposed to, all right, well, we went down South or, we, you know, like, like taking some time to, to live life and, and have an adventure. I, I see it two ways. One, I think that we're not completely brought into the conversation. Like when I started talking about wellness, I think the first thing is it's presented in a way that's like, if you don't have a private sauna and you don't have two hours a day to do X, Y, and Z, this isn't for me, right? So I think there's a, a part that says, this isn't for you. Yet if you think about, like, I think about my grandmother and my great aunt who lived to be almost 101, they were into herbal remedies forever, right? That was their life. Like, there's nothing new about how we're <laughs> turning to supplements and herbs that they weren't into, you know, back in the 30s and 40s and 50s, Right. Um, but then I also think I remember it, it, part of it is I think our parents, like my parents worked so hard to get mm -hmm. six kids through college, right? right. Wow. When I wow. first presented 
that I was going to quit my job at Wharton, which was, again, a part-time thing, right? Because we all have five five jobs, right? Um, I remember their reaction was like, are you sure? Because who quits a gig at Wharton? But I was like, I, I am just on a quest for the thing I need to figure out. And I and I and the only way I know to get to an idea of work-life harmony for me is to just quit things and then see what's left, right? And so I think what you're talking about, like the family time, I had to bring back as a ritual mm-hmm. and do it around boundaries of, but does that still allow me to recharge, right? Because if you have one day off per week and then that day is spent with family, are you really getting what you need? You know, versus like I have a monthly supper club with <laughs> Marina, right? And I needed that. Like I needed that one time a month. So we may not be able to see each other. Like we're kind of at a career place. We're all working really hard. So maybe we can't see each other every week, but we have a one month commitment and that feels good. Right. So I think it's just taking the time to say, why do I think I can't do a thing? Right. Has society told me it's not available to me? Is it really not available to me? Um, Do I think I have to do it a certain way? I, I, I hear that a lot. That's why so much of the elevation approach is really left up to you to decide how you do it. Like, I don't tell you what rituals you have. I say you need to create them. Um, and that's for a very specific reason, because I think what happens is there are a lot of frameworks and philosophies that come packaged a certain way. And then we immediately think, oh, that's what they're talking about isn't available to me right now. Mm-hmm. You know, So I just hope, again, it's called the elevation approach. I hope it feels approachable to people. That like I I can do because I know like I and trust me writing the book you don't get beat up any more than trying to write a book by your publisher and everyone who's asking you a million questions in the notes gotta right? be hard yeah remember you started a company at sixteen other people didn't do that you got to make sure and so it's constantly me saying I know I know I know but I'm still raised by you know two black parents who didn't get college degrees until they were in their fifties and sixties. And they made it happen for the six of us, right? I have five younger siblings who are all immensely talented. I have a sister who became a dean by the time she was 40. I have a brother whose first boss out of college was Lin-Manuel Miranda, you know, and he has a superstar career. But we all came from the same place, same family, you know, where my parents said, we can give you one thing and, and that's a great education. And the rest, we we really worked hard and we got a great work ethic from our parents. But I can see to answer your question, Dean, like, I think my parents' way of thinking of what success and what real accomplishment and that work-life harmony looked like is different than us, right? But that's because they sacrificed, I feel like, so much just to get us to the place to make these choices, right? So I feel like for our generation, we now owe it to them to say we are going to accept this a little bit of a softer life, whatever that looks like, because you guys did grind out for us to get us to the point that we can now make these decisions. You know, so I'm thankful every time I can say I'm going to take a day off or say I'm going to take some time off because somewhere somebody, you know, they, my parents were grinding for us so that we could get to the place to have this opportunity. You know, I know it's like I would say as a black woman, I used to stay on stage, which is how I start every sentence. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> The rise of Black-owned businesses is changing entrepreneurship. Black-owned businesses in the United States accounted for an estimated $141 billion in gross revenue in 2020, an 11% increase over 2017. However, Black entrepreneurs run only 3% of U.S. companies. 
former Georgia House Representative Stacey Abrams is working to create a path to success for black women. Abrams and her business partner, Laura Hodkinson, created new now account. So I guess I asked how did they how hard was it for people to invest in you? So, okay, so there are a few things I like to say, Um, you know, I started a business in 1996. Did I feel discriminated against, feel any of that? No, I didn't. Um, It's a really simple reason why. I was creating a solution to a problem, right? There was this like new emerging customer, people didn't understand, and I was offering a solution. And so I was not taking up space. Now it's interesting. The last two years when I moved into manufacturing, right? I manufacture my products for Target. I am a manufacturer now. I moved into a space that was not really looking for me, right? So it was the first time Mm -hmm. I had to really become equipped with how to navigate a situation I did not have to navigate for the first 20 years of my career, 20 plus years. So imagine like, when I would say something, people would do it because I was the boss for 20 plus years. So moving into a situation now where I'm like, am I repeating? My, like, why am I saying the same thing over and over again? I don't do that. Right. And then, then but what I started to do, um, and I, I love the line, like people remember how you make them feel. I was like, you know what? Sometimes you have to make people feel bad if they're holding on to unconscious bias, they don't know they're holding on to, and they should feel bad about that. Right. So I would now I speak up because I often say I am in a rare room. And if I don't speak up for someone who could follow after me, who maybe does not have the privileges I have being in the space. Right. I'm very fortunate that I had a partner like Target who had my back 10,000 percent every day. That is huge power. And I had to use that to improve situations for other people to say, I don't know if you realize this. I've asked you for the same thing four times and I don't understand why I am. Ex- so can you help me understand why mm. I have to explain myself more? Right. And just having that conversation as uncomfortable as it might be, I'm hoping it doesn't happen to the person who follows. Right. Mm. I hope that they I'm hoping they have a better, you know, a better situation. But one thing I like to say when we talk about black women in business, we always lead with bad statistics, right? So for example, oh my God, less than 1% of funding for VCs. Yes. People. Um, let's talk about the almost 12 million businesses in the US owned by women and that 46% of them are owned by women of color, right? And the fastest growing demographic is black women. So what does that actually say in reality? We are starting different businesses. And so what we need to understand is what financial instruments are important for what business. I understand that I do not start companies that are meant to grow to billion dollar businesses that need VC funding. So I would never be appropriate for VC funding in the type of companies I'm creating. I need strong banking relationships. I need to get to know private equity, but I'm educated on that, right? So you can't make me feel bad because I'm not in that system where what we do is we present these statistics and we automatically start off feeling bad, right? What we should be saying to a lot of the black women and and what I hope Stacey Abrams is out there doing is saying, get a relationship with your banker, get to know even more important, a community banker, right? Community banks are so important because they're the people who see your deposits every day. They want to make their community better. They're about that area. And I have friends who run multi-million dollar cleaning companies, right? Nail salon, opening multiple locations. These aren't venture capital businesses, but they're businesses that support families 
and they become generational businesses. They're great business. But I think as a society, we are way too enthralled. I don't know the word with VC money. Yes. You know, that becomes what I asked that question. And then we try to, I have no interest at all in trying to play that game. So I've not, and that's also, but I'm interested in maintaining work-life harmony, right? So imagine if I like put myself into a game that I didn't have proper tools to play. And then every day I feel bad versus saying, I know my lane. I know I can win here. I know the tools I need to be successful here. I need to get to know my banker. And I think we need to do more of that. And I think those of us who have made it need to say, don't worry about VC. Unless if, if you need to raise because you do need to grow, we got to get you like that needs to be solved for people absolutely who do have those businesses that need to fundraise. But the majority of businesses, people like me start, do not need that financial instrument and we should not be worried about it. Amen. I am so glad I asked that question. Thank you. Oh my God. That just made my Monday great. I I knew, I knew it was the question to ask you because I knew you would come through because I am so tired of these negative ass statistics. Like don't come for me with that. Thank you. Like I don't want to hear and we need to stop propagating that too, as as you know, black women asking. We need to say, uh-uh, let's talk about the positive of what we are doing. And that's right. why I'm like, we need to talk about banking, banking relationships. Do you know your banker? Because I will tell you, the critical pieces of my business when I was a younger founder, I, I did not need a million dollars to change my situation, right? I can think back to certain critical moments where it's like, if I had another $10,000 to invest here, it would have made that big of a game changer. And I think we're just looking at millions and go raise a hundred million instead of saying partner with that banker because getting that $25,000 line of credit could be the difference between one location and two, right? That you can hire two more people or that you can. I have friends who like could be eligible for a multi-million dollar piece of business who are like, I don't have the money to invest to get there, right? Like what I get to do with Target now, I had to invest in myself for two years. Mm. You know, that. That's the the part where it's like you're trying to level up where you need that partner. And so I, I hope many of us start talking about the fact that like banking is really important. VC was great for a period, but it brings a lot of media attention. So immediately people think that's what I have to go do. I thank you so much, Tina, for saying that. that. What a wonderful way for you to close out your segment on this show. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Um, on Instagram at Tina Wells and then TinaWells.com. And I do a weekly newsletter. I give business tips, updates. And so you can subscribe to the newsletter at TinaWells.com. Okay. And with friends like us, we elevate each other. Yeah. <laughs> Tina, you, it was so easy to talk to you. My God. Like I'm meeting you for the first time. It was so easy. Thank you so much for joining you guys us are today. Great. Please you come back. I will come back. You, need, you made you, me laugh so much. Please. We Tina, need and you. Also, the way, obviously, if you, you don't know, I, I think you said you're in Philly, but if you want to come up 95, we have tickets for you. We'd love for you to come uh, check out Race the Movie Play. And, and if not you, your brother that works with uh, Lin-Manuel, please <laughs> tell him something. I was literally thinking when you said you close at the end of the month, I'm leaving on Friday to go visit my brother and his family in Italy for 10 days. And I'm like, darn it. I'm like, okay. I'm like, I want to see this show. And then I'm like, maybe Will can go see the show. He's on a tour right now. Like, okay. I, I send me the information because I want to send, I, Definitely. I wish I could go because yeah. 
I have to go to LA this week, but I would be there this week. It sounds I will send you all the information. Please do. We'll be, we'll be extending. Yeah. Don't worry. We'll be extending. Oh, well, then if you're extending, I'm back. So I yeah, would have come. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Thank Tina. You. So have much. a great See day. You, Bye. Bye. Later. Oh, my God. She's Bye. so lovely. Bye. Look. Oh, she's still here. And I'm saying compliments. This <laughs> 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 won't let me leave this. I'm trying to leave the session and it won't let me. It's a Zoom escape room. <laughs> <laughs> wow. She's incredible, yeah, right? She was dope. She was dope. And, and, oh, and my God. I love you know what what you said really made a lot of sense not even just business wise but just in general people focus so much on the negative instead of the positive you know instead instead of saying what someone can't do mm. or what people don't accomplish you celebrate what people do accomplish you know just that's as a way to pivot um, the general populace's thinking, I think when people focus more on the positive they get positive results across the board in their lives. Absolutely. And and the the idea of, yes, this thing you or someone may not have, but questioning how much is that needed necessarily? I'm not saying, you know, more shouldn't be done in, in this specific case for, you know, black owned businesses to give VC funding. But it was thoughtful to hear articulate. Is that even the most important goal? Um, and yeah, no, yeah. she's a very good interview. <laughs> yeah, no, it, you know, I and I think that what you all are doing, it really actually I don't, I've been trying to figure out what the word is when you you cross these topics together. Encapsulates, encapsulates. There's a word for it. Juxtapose. Juxtapose is another word, but it's uh, also like it's, it's I had I had I had Come flammabulates. That's why I just, I just, I just made that one up to sound smart. So, Brett, <laughs> let me ask you: uh, Have you had any? Like, I don't know if you answered that. Have you had any like people who say, "Look, I just don't want to see this." Uh, any, any like people leaving comments about like, do we have to do another? You're making fun of the race movies. Do you get any like anything like that? Because people always have opinions these days and they seem to want to, you know, take Absol it down. Absolutely. I mean, for the, anyone who's seen the performance is very much a, uh, you know, encourager, believer and fan of the performance. I think when you strip away sometimes the general premise of it's a comedy spoofing race movies can get some people a little like oh what are they especially with my face marina because you know i'm about as lily white as they come and so <laughs> you know when i present the idea it's understandably given my identity it is like yo well what are you saying yeah white um, boy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but for real but i i think when you approach it very authentically and um when people see the show, the message speaks for itself and the the comedy and the sensibility is clear that we have a lot of sensitivity, but we also have, I would say, thoughtful, pointed irreverence for moments when irreverence is needed. Um, and I think uh, audiences can really appreciate that. And sometimes I think in the industry, comedy industry, uh, a lot of gatekeepers can have this, I would say, condescending or pay overprotective 
nature toward uh, people of color where they think don't even go anywhere remotely there because that'll hurt or offend. And, you know, I think that's that's kind of uh, condescending to the uh, intelligence of audiences. Well, um, well, Brett, also, can I just uh, please um, tell Marina why you why this play happened? Like explain to her, because I think that I think you telling that story gives a better understanding of why a show like this is resonating so well, why it's needed, why eventually it become it goes from just race the movie to play back to race the movie to play the movie. Absolutely, which that is the ultimate goal. Um, Christian Duran, who's a great stand-up comedian, and I, uh, we wrote this uh, movie script called Race the Movie, and we won one of the biggest screenplay competitions with it, which got us access to a lot of managers and agents and producers almost all of whom said some version of this is hilarious, but you know, it tackles a touchy subject. Yeah. And so we felt like, well, we know what we're doing and we think audiences will want this and we'll get it. So why don't we prove it in the, in the live arena, the arena of live comedy where laughs, laughs are, kind of like an implicit endorsement of the idea. And so if people are laughing, they get it. And it's clear they know what you're making fun of and what you're trying to say. And so therefore we turn race, the movie into race, the movie, the play. And we were lucky enough to involve some incredible collaborators. Uh, first and foremost, you know, Dean joining it, like really elevated the, the comedy and the art of it. And, um, because we have no theatrical experience, we also have no ego about the script, which has allowed for so many great conversations as a cast as we tweak jokes or tweak lines to A, make the meaning clear, uh, and B, make the jokes just funnier. It's I, We've never been devoted to the script. It's always been a moving target on... You know, did Dean say something funnier than was on the page? Okay, that's collaborative. I love that it's collaborative. It's, exactly, oh, that's what's on the page. I mean, you you have Marina. You know a good amount of the creators behind it. Obviously, myself and uh, now Brett. But Ted Alexandro um, was a big part of this production. The only reason he's not he's still a producer on the project, but he's not in it on this particular run because he uh because he just got off doing a, a long road tour with Jim Gaffigan and he has two uh two young children. No, he tours with Jim when I'm not right. Oh sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, they're best friends. It's yeah. okay. I fill in for when Ted can't do it. Right. Me. <laughs> so that's why we gotta get Ted back in the show, Marina. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, but Ted left his imprint and and it has been a, an extremely collaborative uh effort um because i think com a comics love offering tags and offering funny to what's already funny and helping enhance what what's already funny but then also for someone like me um i play the straight man i i i'm i'm more the uh dramatic foundation of this of this uh play and so i don't have as much i do have funny moments but during the course of the last year in working on it from when we did it um, during when we had a run during the New York Theater Festival to now, um, there were constantly moments where I could say, oh, you know what would be funny if, oh, you know what, he sh such and such should try here. Eagle Wit is, is uh, doing oh, it. Oh, Eagle Wit, yes. 
uh, uh, Amanda Van Nostrand is 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 brilliant uh, playing uh, multiple characters. So we have we have a great cast. Um, but I th- I think um, it's the evidence is is in the in the response of the audience. You know, everyone leaves. You know, I love the fact that people walk out excited. People walk out smiling the same way when I went to see MJ the musical, um, Hamilton. And you're standing outside, and every people are kind of just this that 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 excited energy, like yo, we just saw something magic, magical. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I love that feeling. I can't wait to see it. I'm going to see. Should I should I tell him? Uh, should I tell Dean when? You know, I used to get scared when certain people told me they were in the audience. Will I scare you oh. if I'm in the audience? <laughs> I I mean, I would hope to have that. I, I, uh, <laughs> I hate. I love I love doing a podcast where I'm in my bedroom, but I'm a little nervous to log in. And that was this for me, if I'm being authentic. Are you serious? Because I was like, I always had like that one professor when we knew she was in the audience. We're like, oh, no, Lizzie's in the audience. And everyone would be like, oh, my God, Lizzie. Yeah, uh, you know, it's funny, Marina. We've had um, in our we did a run of three for the New York Theater Festival last year. And there was one audience member. Um, are you? Do you know who Lisa Ann is? No. Uh, Lisa Ann is a legendary porn actress. Yes. Um, L- like and- the the goat. The yeah, goat. Yeah. Um, yeah. And one of the goats. I have some other goats as well, but she's <laughs> one of the goats. In her work, she's on Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Yeah. She's uh, and. So she uh she came to one of our shows. I had I had Dean and I had both done her podcast in the past and I emailed her and she was like, I'll be there. And so there was uh I'll just say when the male cast members found out that the legend Elisa Ann was in the audience, we gave our best performance that night. Oh, oh. <laughs> work a little harder. I mean that's hilarious. <laughs> Uh, uh, well, but a but, different type of performance, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, uh, she, I saw her immediately when, when, because she sat right up front, and yes. we found out because a uh, publicist, um, actually brought her, and she said Lisa Ann likes doing that, and so I intensely didn't look. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you ain't gonna have me flubbing that, 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 you know. <laughs> well, very well, that's awesome. outfit, you know. So, um. But yeah, we worked harder. It was amazing. Is there something because you know, I think this is a perfect time for a play like this because people need to be educated. There's such a such an um attempt to erase black history yeah. and and racial um and what's going on in America. We have this one article, what history teaches us about critical race theory, um, by Tayonga Leslie. American Constitution Society. Since the murder of George Floyd in 2020, there has been a renewed discussion of racial injustice in the U.S. Majorities majorities of Americans of all ethnic backgrounds now believe that systematic racism, systemic, sorry, well, systematic, systemic racism exists and that society should work to address the ongoing impacts of discrimination. Despite this, right-wing operatives have launched more than 600 initiatives to suppress free discussions about race and racism in the na- in the nation's schools, universities, 
private businesses over the past three years. They are drawing on strategies first developed, by the way, in the antebellum South. These strategies were used to suppress criticism of slavery. Mm -hmm. In the 1800s, David Walker's appeal to appeal to the colored citizens of the world was crucial in that it called for the immediate abolition of slavery and for black Americans to be treated equally within the United States. Today's efforts to limit free discourse and education about the role of race in American history bear striking parallels to slave owners efforts to outlaw dissent and maintain ignorance among populations they desire to control. I just had to get that out there because I think it's important what you're doing. I, oh, go ahead, Dean. Sorry. I, I was just going to say, I mean, you know, the, the very idea of, uh, you know, my, obviously my wife is more well-versed in this because this is her, her, uh, and this is what she does and, and the field she works in. But the idea of, you know, critical race theory is just telling the truth. You know, similar to, um, you know, what Tina was just uh, discussing, mentioning way earlier in the podcast, um, people getting upset with the truth um, don't like addressing history and, and addressing things that actually happened in, in these um, United States of America. And so you're constantly going to run into the same issues and the same problems because they're never addressed. You know, if you go if you go to a therapist and they tell you, well, you first have to address the problem in order to in order to move past the uh, problem and grow uh, through the problem, America won't even allow that therapy to happen. Generally speaking, because many people don't want to hear it. People are like, yeah, that happened a long time ago. Well, you know, the 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 point of uh, Michael Che joke showed in nine eleven. You know, but we still every year say never forget. So why should we forget uh, the 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 major atrocities that were committed towards uh, you know people of African descent or people of indigenous descent or or so forth? We we need to have that discussion in order to get, to grow as Americans in this country. Yeah, I, I think a lot of uh, right wing uh, and in some ways, generally speaking, like white people. Um, we like to have like a very Disney Channel movieified version of American history right. <laughs> where we like to like just we just want to feel good about it. Like we just want to feel good about it and we want it to feel like there's a happy ending and just because it makes us feel good. And right. uh, and so that's why I think there's such a bristling or something like I'm not that well versed in it, but critical race theory. That's why it's become politicized. Is because Republicans, broadly speaking, have a vested interest and in not having this this pure, perfect, you know, narrative of America have any puncturing of that narrative because we just want America to be this perfect moral entity. And it has been for all 300 and some years of its existence. Right. Um, and it's also, also people won't go and do the actual research to understand what critical race theory is. It, it becomes a bullet point. And so it's easy for them to say it um, because many of the people that uh, follow the right wing aren't going to, you know, do diligence to learn and understand. It's easier to just see uh, something on, on Facebook or social media or hear a pundit from your favorite right wing uh, program 
to say it and then you to regurgitate and say, yeah, that critical race theory is wrong. You know? Yeah. Just make a boogeyman. And once it's a boogeyman, yeah. now you can just go, oh, bad. You know, yeah. it's just bad. Not good. Yeah. So. Do you believe that how we are fit? Look at me. I'm so professional. You're so good. You I are. To, I had to take a moment to just acknowledge. <laughs> you ran. You run. A, you, yeah, I would agree. <laughs> you, yeah. Oh, I want to mention TV said this earlier. It's time to destate Florida and turn it into a national park, except for Disney World and an airport near it to get there. The rest tear it down. Back to nature. I love you, TB. That's hilarious. Uh, do you believe how we are faring as a country is inarguably linked to race relations and how various racial groups are thriving? That's a deep question. Yeah. Dean, you want to take that first? Oh, I I just said I do I believe it? Yeah, uh yes, I do. I, I do. Wow. You say, will you say the question again? If you don't Do you mind. believe that? Well, it comes from this article about how we're faring. We had um, Tina on. She was talking about well-being, you know, like that well-being is crucial for race relations and advancing prosperity. Right. Mm -hmm. If city governments and civic organizations can understand well-being from the perspective of different racial identities, they can dismantle the architecture of inequality in their communities and beyond. So instead of just saying like, like they may not have this amount of money, but are, how are they doing? Like black people be doing, they still be partying mm -hmm. when they ain't got money. We, we find a way to still be well, but we never focus on that part of the conversation. Like how much wealth is, enough or how how are we doing is should be the question also you know um mm -hmm. so it's also what they're saying here is it's linked to race relations like um and this you know it's start founded by john legend actually so this work is part of the brookings institution's new partnership with Human Level, a nonprofit initiative founded by John, Le John Legend that aims to uplift communities disproportionately impacted by institutionalized racism. So the question again is, do you believe that we're fair? How, how are we faring based on these race relations? Are we thriving, would you say? I, I, I mean, I would say you know and to be clear in no way am i like here i am the the uh sole authority on race relations in america but white people can't <laughs> if, if you were to focus on this question and, and, and really think about it white people actually aren't thriving because they're not folk they're not as diverse as they should be mm -hmm. yeah, yeah i mean uh how do you mean white people aren't versus they because like, white white people suffer from the lack of diversity oh i would definitely agree with that i mean i think and that's one thing that i think could probably happen when white people hear about you know things like when certain sects of white people have are against like you know affirmative action or they're just being more increased diversity in the workplace they feel like they're threatened when actually they're empowered too um because the world is better when everyone is better and everyone has access to actual opportunities and you don't just keep entrenched you know positions or wealth entrenched it was very compelling hearing tina talk about um 
she still has to, you know, she's entering maybe certain rooms that haven't always enabled a black woman to be in them. Yeah. Um, and she still is encountering instances where she has to make someone feel uncomfortable for them to grow uh by you know it and it it's unfortunate that that's still is a ask or a requirement on her um but i would give props to her willingness to go into that territory to help someone grow it made me think of one of my favorite lines in the play and it's dean it's one of your lines in your monologue um which is it's why why is it that the people who have to the people who experience the most prejudice have to but the people that experience the most prejudice are the very ones who uh that are the recipients of said prejudice yes yeah why are the recipients of prejudice the ones who have to teach other others about prejudice and um i I, yeah it's like i think that can kind of articulate things well And, and that's a very uh it's a very enjoyable line to hear in our show because it's we get a different reaction. Typically, most of the show is laughs, but the reaction from that that we can hear can be different. Well, it's a, it's a nice it's a nice moment because specifically speaking, if there are any black women present, mm. um, exactly. <laughs> that's true. That's that's the and that which is honestly that's. The I think the play is for everyone, but I think specifically getting a cosign from black people, specifically black women, um, just is is the the utmost um, amount of currency we can uh, receive because it's a it's a validation that no critic that's writing an article can can give us. It's it 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 lets you know that it, it's resonating and uh, affecting people, and people are leaving at least if not changing at least thinking and and pondering some things that they may not have entered the room uh wondering there was just a very uh nice moment during the talk back q a we did at a show last wednesday um where uh i th- couldn't tell because it was the lights but it, i think a a young black woman uh gave really effusive praise of the show and she i remember something she said which was you know, there were a couple moments where I was worried I was about to be triggered, mm. but then the show took a left turn into something either thoughtful or hilarious, and I really appreciated that. And I think that speaks to hopefully us as artists doing a thoughtful job of walking across the tightrope. And because we're willing to walk across the tightrope, we're respecting our audience, mm-hmm. and you know, we can build that trust because we walk across it and we get to the end and we go, see, it was, it was justified. Some of that um, discomfort was justified by how we, you know, the catharsis of either the, the punchline or, or some of the dramatic moments that particularly Dean uh, carries during the show. That's brilliant. Cause I, I was going to ask you that question. Do you, you know, cause I know some people, whenever you see like slave or anything with race right now, they're like, Oh my God, I don't want to, do I want to go through this? So to hear that is really important because with laughter, you can, you can, you can still educate without making feel traumatized or triggered. I mean, Marina, the, the original name of 
the sketch that this it started as a sketch and became a couple of sketches and then became a full script the original title was not another slave movie yeah that's that what was, i thought yeah yeah that was the original joke of mm -hmm. it was it was it was um goofing on you know geez another like every time you come out every time you turn something on there's another slave movie and i know black people are exhausted with slave movies and and you know i i hear the the other side of it, people saying, well, this is American history. Um, we just did Fugelsang's uh, uh, program and he uh, he said, but is is there a problem with that? Is there?" I said, well, the problem is more so, it's not that people don't mind, black people specifically don't mind those stories. The problem is that's all we've ever been given, right? When you talk about American history, um, you know, you don't talk about Nat Turner. We haven't seen the Frederick Douglass uh, story. You know, we always <clears throat> get, we've had a plethora of white savior, feel good about someone white helping affect institutionalized slavery and racism and with 12 years a slave or, you know, uh, Green Book or, you know, Will Smith saying, you know what? Emancipation is not about slavery. It's about I emancipation. To, I can't see it because it's it's an emancipation about of slaves, and yeah, so sure. indirectly telling a, a story we've seen or heard before. And so, what I think our show does with Race the Movie to Play is we address the things that have frustrated all of us, specifically black people, about these stories, yes. and and. We we take moments in our in our show to address whether it's through actual commentary or through uh, the visual of seeing uh, you know the black characters react one way versus the the Caucasian characters in the show reacted different ways. It, it, it's reminiscent of when President Obama was one um, in two thousand eight, and you had a lot of white people, generally speaking, were like, "Hooray!" See, it's so racism is racism is over. Black people are like, um, <laughs> nah, nah, that your face, Marina's face. We all yeah, no, it's just it's about to get real, real. Yeah, yeah go, <laughs> go. Yeah. And so that's I think why our show has has done so well and had such positive response from everyone because mm -hmm. everyone feels comfortable. No one feels. No one, no one white leaves this show feeling guilty. No one black leaves this show feeling like we um, were just uh, using using the show to uh, have gratuitous moments of, of a racial discussion. Well, I applaud both of you. I think that what you're doing is amazing, incredible, perfect timing. I think that the fact that it's collaborative and you're still growing it and you're still having these conversations about what should be in it is what theater really is for yeah. you know i mean i i see something like what you're doing growing to the point where you have even conversations about asian americans or yeah. you know you know for now this you know it's just it's it, a lot of people forget why we why we get on stage or why we even put these it's to help the the world be a better place right mm -hmm. and that's what your show will do yeah. And I am so happy. I can't wait to see it on Wednesday. Yeah, Very I excited. Can't. I was going to say, Marina, he knows because because I, I think I already told him. <laughs> oh, no, I was wondering if you knew I was going on Wednesday. I told him I was coming Wednesday. I couldn't. Oh, I was okay. so pretty. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
I didn't know if you knew Dean I was coming on Wednesday for okay. sure. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to be in the audience. I'm not going to yeah. sit in the front row. Okay. <laughs> but thank you both so much for joining us today with Tina Wells. Brett, can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Absolutely. Uh, I would say get the plug out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, more seriously. Uh, yeah, uh, I would say main thing, if you're interested in seeing the show, you can either go to racethemovietheplay.com or you can go to Soho Playhouse's website to get tickets. We have two more weeks of shows running uh, through the end of May, and we almost certainly will extend. Um, and if you're interested, DM me on Instagram. I'll send you a promo code to save some of them coveted dollars on tickets. You know, we care more about sharing this piece of work with everybody than anything. And friends like us, I think we can have really valuable, important discussions and, you know, not oh man i'm sucking at this part of it damn no, it I had, it. You, you had it you had it it's all good I, I went, I, i'm not good at my own game <laughs> <laughs> no with friends like us we can have really important discussions we can wade into gray subject matter and we can laugh about the harsh stuff and we can uh by laughing about the harsh stuff we can also make the harsh stuff needing to be talked about yes all of that was necessary. Thank you, Brett. Thank you. Thank you, Brett. Dean? Follow that, Dean. Yeah, yeah. That's a hard act to follow. Um, first, thank you for, for having me again, Marina. It's always a pleasure coming, tossing it up with my sister. You know, you can find me, same same as Brett. Um, we have, as of now, we have eight more shows running through the end of May through May 27th. We're doing Wednesdays through Saturdays. If the Wednesday shows are 7 p.m. and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, 9 p.m. shows. Go to SohoPlayhouse.com. I, I I've been messing up the title, and it's right in front of me. Go, go to <laughs> RaceTheMovieToPlay.com um, to buy your tickets. Uh, also, Brett didn't point out, the tickets are extremely inexpensive in the world of theater. They're not expensive. We intentionally made sure to keep our price point low because we want everyone to come see this show. And so... This show costs less than anything you're seeing on or off Broadway this season. Probably costs about the same as taking somebody to the movie. So uh, make sure you come out, use use the code um, DM Brett. Um, you follow me at I am Dean Edwards. And friends like us need to laugh together. Need to find find common ground. Friends like us need to find common ground to laugh and and love and live together. Thank you so much, Dean. Marina Franklin here. Just go to my website, marinafranklin.com. This episode is appearing. It's on Wednesday tomorrow. Just so you know, if you're listening to this, we will be doing a fundraiser at the the only black-owned comedy club in Harlem. Yes. It's a fundraiser for a very defunded school in Harlem. You can find all the information on my website, also in my link tree, which is in my Instagram handle. The performers on that show is Keith Robinson, Yamanika, Yamanika Saunders, Mark Theobald, and, um, and more, and Sarah Contreras. So please, here's another thing, very important. If you know a corporation that would like to donate to the school, please send them money. Yes, with friends like us, we look for solutions, not problems. Oh, that was nice. That was good. Thank that was really good. Check, Check us out. out. 
See, I, I always was worried my whiteness was coming with my lack of rhythm on those moments. <laughs> You're like, Brett, it's on the downbeat. I'm like,